Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, guys, we're doing, this is it. This is it. This is the read and rant. This is the read and rant. We spend 20 minutes reading through scripture, 20 to 30 reading through scripture. And then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes uh, reflecting on the scriptures that we're reading. And for those of you who have been journeying with us, you know that we've been journeying through uh, the, New, the Old Testament over the past couple months. Well, we're just spending 20, 30 minutes. And so uh, today we get to start a new book and that's exciting, right? We've read through uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And we read through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. We read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings. And now we will be reading the book of Chronicles. And so I'm really excited about that, that we get to sit down and reflect on Scripture and read Scripture together. Um, just want to make sure we're all good. Awesome. We are all good. So we will be in the book of Chronicles. Now, the book of Chronicles is um, essentially one book. Okay, it is one book, but it has been divided into two parts, uh, partly for or primarily, not partly, primarily uh, for practical reasons is at the time, you know, an entire scroll of the book of Chronicles would have been extremely hard to carry. And so essentially they split the book up into two parts. That's it. Uh, they split the book up into two parts in order for it to be easier to carry. And so that's why we have First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. But we're just here uh, to read through the entire book of Chronicles since we're reading through the entire Bible anyway. And so we'll start with First Chronicles and we'll be reading from chapter one. As you guys know, this isn't a Bible study, but this is a meditational reading. And so what we want to do is we want to posture our hearts towards God to hear what he has to say. We want to posture our hearts to hear what the Lord has to say to us today. And so we're going to be asking three questions. And this is, these are three questions that we ask every time that we read. The first question that we ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? These are the three questions that we want to commit our time to. These are the three questions we want to commit our time to. Um, and for those of you, I, I noticed there's a few of you that are asking questions about the Bible study on Tuesday. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up with that at the end of today's um, read and rant. But for now, we just want to commit this time. We want to commit this time to the reading of the word. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right into it. Father, I thank you. Lord, that you've given us the privilege to come before you. Lord, that you've given us the privilege to gather here, Lord, from different areas around the world and different time zones for the reading of your word. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, speak to us today. Lord, as we engage in your word, uh, reveal to us the truth of who you are. Reveal your heart to us, Lord. Um, convict us where we need conviction. Correct us where we need correction. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Empower us, Lord, for those of us who find ourselves in a season of weakness. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, 
and Japheth. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Diphthath, Togomer. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Tarshisha, Kittim, and Rodanim. The sons of Hem were Cush, Mizraim, Put, Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havila, Sabta, Rama, Sabteka. The sons of Rama were Sheba, Dedan. Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. Mizraim begot Ludim, Ananim, Ahabim, Naph to him, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from whom came the Philistines and the Kaphtarim. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn in Heth, the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite, the Arvidite, the Zamorite, and the Hamathite. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, Meshach. Arphaxad begot Shelah, and Shelah begot Eber. To Eber was born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in the days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot Almadad, Shelef, Hazamarveth, Hazam. By the way, I'm going to be working through these words because these words are hard to pronounce. Hazar Mavith, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Ebal, Ebimal, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan, Shem, Arphaxad, Shela, Eber, Peleg, Reu, Serug. Nahor, Terah, and Abraham, and Abram, who is Abraham. The sons of Abraham were Isaac and Ishmael. These are their genealogies. The firstborn of Ishmael was Nabajoth, then Kadar, then Abdiel, Mibsem, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Temer, Jeter, Nafish, Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael. Now the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubine, were Zimran, Jokshan, Medin, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. The sons of Jokshan were Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, Elda. All these were children of, children of Keturah. And Abraham begot Isaac, the sons of Isaac were Esau and Israel. The sons of Esau were Elphaz, Reuel, Josh, Shalom, and Korah. The sons of Eliphaz were Temen, Omar, Zephi, Jatim, and Kenaz, and by Timna Amalek. The sons of Reuel were Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. The sons of Seir were Lotan. Shobal, Zibian, Anna, Disha, Izzer, 
Dishan, the sons of Lotan, were Hori and Homam. Lotan's sister was Timna. The sons of Shobal were Elian, Menahath, Ebal, Shephi, and Onam. The sons of Zibion were Aja and Anna. The sons of Anna were Dishon. The sons of Dishon were Hamran, Eshban, Ithran, and Sharon. The sons of Ezer were Bilhan, Zavan, and Jak- Jakin. The sons of Dishon were Uz and Aaron. Now these were the kings who reigned in the land of Eden before a king reigned in the children, I'm uh, sorry, over the children of Israel. Bela, the son of Beor, and the name of the city was Dinhaba. And when Bela died, Joban, Jobab, sorry, the son of Zerah of Bozrah reigned in his place. When Jobab died, Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. When Husham died, Hadad, the son of Bedad, who attacked Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his place. The name of his city was Avith. When Hadad died, Shemla reigned in his place, and when Shemla and when Semla died, Saul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his place. When Saul died, Ben Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. And when Baal Hanan died, Hadad reigned in his place in the name of the city of Pai. His wife, his wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezab. Hadad died also, and the chiefs of Edom were Chief Timna, Chief Aliyah, Chief Jetheth, Chief Ahol- Aholibama, Chief Ella, Chief Pinon, Chief Kenaz, Chief Temen, Chief Mibzar, Chief Magdiel, and Chief Aram, Iram. These were the chiefs of Edom. These were the sons of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, and Shelah. These three were born to him by the daughter of Shua, the Canaanites. Ur, the firstborn of Judah, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so he killed him. And Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bore him Perez and Zerah. All the sons of Judah were five. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Zerah were Zimri, Ethan, Heman, Kalkol, and Dara, five of them in all. The sons of Carmi were Akar, the troubler of Israel, who transgressed in the accursed thing. The son of Ethan was Azariah, also the son of Hezron, who were born to him were Jerumail, Ram, and Shalubai. Ram begot Abinadab, and Abinadab begot Nahashon, leader of the children of Judah. Nahashon begot Salma, and Salma begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot Eliab, his first son, Abinadab the second, Shimea the third. Nathaniel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozem the sixth, and David the seventh. Hmm. Now the sisters were Zeruiah and Abigail, and the sons of Zeruiah were Abishai, Joab, Asael, three, 
Abigail bore Amasa, and the father of Amasa was Jether, the Ishmaelite. Caleb, the son of Ezron, had children by Uzubah, his wife, and by Jerioth. Now these were her sons, Jesher, Shobab, and Ardon. And when Ezubah died, Caleb took Ephrath as his wife, who bore him her. And her begot Uri, and Uri begot Bezalel. Afterward, Hezron went in to the daughter of Machir, the father of Gilead, whom he married when he was 60 years old, and she bore him Segub. Segub begot Jair, who had 23 cities in the land of Gilead. Geshur and Syria took from them the towns of Jair, when the Kenneth of his town, 60 towns. All these belonged to the sons of Machir, the father of Gilead. After Hezron died in Caleb, Ephrathah. Hezron's wife, Abijah, bore him Asher, the father of Tekoa. The son of Jerumiel, the firstborn of Hezron, were Ram. The sons, sorry, the sons of Jerumiel, the firstborn of Hezron, were Ram. The firstborn, Buna, Ore, Oren, Ozim, and Ahijah. Jerumiel had another wife whose name was Atara. She was the mother of Onim, the sons of Ram, the firstborn of Jer Jeremiel, were Maaz, Jamin, and Eker. The sons of Onim were Shemai and Jada. The sons of Shemai were Nadab and Abishur. The name of his wife, Abishur, was Abihel. She bore him Aban and Molid. The sons of Nadab were Seled and Apaim. Seled died without children. The son of Apaim was Ishi. The son of Ishi was Sheshan. And Sheshan's son was Ahalai. The sons of Jada, the brother of Shemai, were Jether and Jonathan. Jether died without children. The sons of Jonathan were Peleth and Zaza. These were the sons of Jeramiel. Now, Sheshan had no sons, only daughters. And Sheshan had an Egyptian servant whose name was Jara. Sheshan gave his daughter to Jara, his servant, as his wife. And she bore him Atai. Atai begot Nathan. Nathan begot Zabad. Zabad, Zabad begot Ephlal. And Ephlal begot Obed. Obed begot Jehu. Jehu begot Azariah. Azariah begot Helez. Helez begot Elessa. Elessa begot Sismai, and Sismai begot Shalom. Shalom begot Jekamiah, and Jekamiah begot Elishama. The descendants of Caleb, the brother of Jeramiel, were Mesha, his firstborn, who was the father of Ziph, the sons of Maresha, the father of Hebron. The sons of Hebron were Korah, Zepua, Rechem, and Shema. Shema begot Raham, the father of Jacoam. And Rechem begot Shemai, the son of Shemai was Maon, and Maon was the father of Beth Zer. Ephen, Caleb's concubine, bore Haran, Moza, and Gezez. And Haran begot Gezez, and the sons of Jadai were Regem, Jotham, Jeshen, Pelet, Epha, Shaph, Maaka. Caleb's concubine begot Sheber and Terana. She also bore Shaf, the father of Madmana. Sheva, the father of Mechbena, the father of Gibeah, the daughter of Caleb, who was Aksha. These were the descendants of Caleb, the sons of Hur, 
The firstborn was Ephrathath, Washobal, the father of Kirjath Jerim, Salma, the father of Bethlehem, Heref, the father of Beth Geder, and Shobal, the father of Kirjath Jerim, his descendants, Hereth, and half of the families of Manoath, the families of Kirjath Jerim, were the Ithrites, the Puthites, the Shumathites, and the Mishrites. From these came the Zorathites and the Eshtoalites. The sons of Salma were Bethlehem, the Netophathites, Etroth, Beth-Joab, half of the Manahathites, and the Zorites, the families of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez, or Jabez, either one, were the Terathites, the Shemiathites, and the Sukathites. These were the Kenites who came from Hamath, the father of the house of Rechab. Now these were the sons of David, born to him in Hebron. The firstborn was Amnon, Baahonam, the Jezreelitess, the second Daniel, Baabigail, the Carmelitess, the third Absalom, the son of Maaka, the daughter of Talmai, king of Gesher. The fourth was Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth was Jephatia, by Abital. The sixth was Ethraim, by his wife Eglah. These six were born to him in Hebron, where he reigned seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years. And these were born to him in Jerusalem, Shimei, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon, four by Bathshua, the daughter of Amiel. Also were Ibar, Elishama, Eliphalet, Nogag, Hepheg, Nepheg, sorry, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, Eliphalet, nine in all. These were the sons of David besides the sons of the concubines and Tamar, their sister. Solomon's son was Rehoboam. Abijah was, was his son, Asa his son, Jehoshaphat his son, Joram his son, Ahaziah his son, Joash his son, Amaziah his son, Azariah his son, Jotham his son, Ahaz his son, Hezekiah his son, Manasseh his son, Ammon his son, Josiah his son. The, so, the sons of Josiah were Jeho, Jehonan, Jehonanan, the firstborn. The second was Jehoiakim. The third was Zedekiah. The fourth was Shalom. The sons of Jehoiakim were Jeconiah, his son, and Zedekiah, his son. Hmm. The sons of Jeconiah were Asir, Shealtiel, his son, and Malkarim, Pediah, Shenazar, Jechamiah, Hoshama, and Nebadiah. The sons of Pediah was Zerubbabel and Shimei. The sons of Zerubbabel were Meshu, Meshulam, Hananiah, Shelomith, their sister, and Hashubah, Ohel, Berakah, Hasidah, or Hasidiah, sorry, and Jeshua, Jeshab, Hesed, five in all. The sons of Hananiah were Pelatiah, Je, Jeshaiah, the sons of Hephaiah, 
I'm sorry, Rephahiah, the sons of Arnon, the sons of Obadiah, the sons of Shechaniah. The sons of Shechaniah were Shemaiah. The sons of Shemaiah were Hetush, Igal, Bariah, Neriah, and Shephat, six in all. The sons of Neriah were Elianiah, Hezekiah, and Ezrakem, three in all. The sons of Elio, Elioniah, Elionai, sorry. The sons of Elionai were Hedaviah, Eliashib, Peleiah, Ekub, Johanan, Deliah, Anani, seven in all. The sons of Judah were Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, Shobal, and the Rei, the sons of Shobal, begot Jehath, and Jehath begot Ahumai and Lahad. These were the families of the Zorathites. These were the sons of the fathers of Etam, Jezreel, Isham, Ib, Idbash. And the name of their sister was Hazalel Pony, and Penuel, his father, of Geder, and Ezer, the father of Heshua. These were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephrathah, the father of Bethlehem. And Ashur, the father of Tekoa, had two wives, Hela and Nara. Nara bore him Ahuzam, Hefer, Temeni, Hashatari. These were the sons of Nara. The sons of Hela were Zareth, Zoar, and Ethnin, and Kaz begot Anub, Zebobah, and the families of Aharel, the son of Haram. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called him Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Shelob, the brother of Shaun, begot Meher, who was the father of Eshton, and Eshton begot Beth, Rapha, Pesah, and Tahina, the father of Ir, Nahesh. These were the men of Rekah. The sons of Kenez were Othniel and Sariah. The sons of Othniel were Hathath, Me, uh, Meonothiah, or Thai who begot Ophra. Sariah begot Joab, the father of Gei-Harashim, for they were craftsmen. Sons of Caleb were the sons of Jephunneh, were Eru, Ella, and Nam. The son of Ella was Kenaz. The sons of Jehalel were Ziph, Zipha, Tyria, and Asarel. The sons of Ezra were Jether, Mered, Ephra, and Jalon, and Mered's wife bore Miriam, Shemai, and Ishba, the father of Eshtemoah. His wife, Jehudijah, bore Jared, the father of Gedor, Habor, the father of Soko, and Jekuthiel, the father of Zenoah. And these were the sons of Bethia, the daughter of Pharaoh, whom Mered took. The sons of Hodiah's wife, the sister of Naham, 
were the fathers of Kaleel, the Garmite, and Eshtemoa, the Makathite. And the sons of Shimon were Amnon, Rena, Ben-Hanan, and Tilon. And the sons of Ishi were Zoeth and Ben-Zoeth. The sons of Shelah, the son of Judah, were Ur, the father of Lekah, Lada, the father of Marasha, and the families of the house of the linen workers of the house of Ashbeah, also Jochim, the men of Chozebah and Joash, Seraph, who ruled Moab, and Jashubi, Lahem. These Now the records are ancient. These were the potters and those who dwelled in Nataim and Gedera. There they dwelt with the king for his work. The sons of Simeon were Nemuel, Jamin, Jareb, Zerah, and Shaul, Shalom his son, Mibsam his son, Mishma his son. And the sons of Mishma were Hamuel his son, Zakir his son, and Shimei his son. Shimei had 16 sons and six daughters from his brothers and did not have many children, nor did any of their families multiply as much as the children of Judah. They dwelt in Beersheba, Molada, Hazar, Shual, Bilhah, Ezem, Tolad, Bethuel, Horma, Ziklag, Beth Markaboth, Hazar Susim, Beth Biri, and At Sharim. These were their cities until the region of David. And their villages were Atam, Ain, Rimon, Token, and Ashen, five cities. And the villages were around these cities as far as Baal. These were their dwelling places, and they maintained their genealogy. Meshab, Jamlik, Josha, the son of Amaziah, Joel, and Jehu, the son of Joshabiah, the son of Sariah, the son of Asiel, Elionai, Elionai, Jacoba, Jeshohoiah, Asaiah, Adiel, Jesimiel, Beniah, Ziza, the son of Sifi, the son of Alan, the son of Jediah, the son of Shimri, the son of Shemaiah. Those mentioned by name were leaders in their families, and the house, and the father's house greatly increased. So they went into the entrance of Gedor as far as the east side of the valley to seek pasture for their flocks, and they found rich, good pasture. And the land was broad, quiet, and peaceful, for some Hamites formerly lived there. These recorded by name came in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and they attacked their tents. And the Mayanites, who were found there, utterly destroyed them, as it is to this day. So they dwelt in their place, because their pasture for flocks were there. Now some of them, 500 men of the sons of Simeon, wanted to mount Seir, having as their captains... Paltia, Neriah, Rephaiah, and Uziel, the sons of Ishi, and they defeated the rest of the Amalekites who had escaped. They have dwelt there to this day. I'm going to stop right here. Um, <clears throat> yes, Baal was a place also. Yes, Baal was a very common name um, 
used to describe gods. Uh, there were individuals who had the name Baal. Many royals were um, also had the name Baal, partly because, again, uh, Baal was a representation of, of of divinity, a deity of sorts. And so uh, because they were some had regarded themselves as deities themselves, Baal was part of their name or they were regarded as deities. And so Baal was also part of their name. Uh, but there's a lot to unpack from there. And there's a lot to unpack from um, understanding, if you would allow me a minute, um, one of the things I think that maybe I'll make this a Bible study as well in, uh, I'll make a Bible study as well in maybe on Patreon. Maybe I'll create that. I'll, I'll add that to the list of things that would be interesting to talk about is, is it is important when we read the text and I've said this over and over again, but it is important when we read the text that we, uh, read it through the lens of the person who's writing it to the people that that person is writing it to. The primary error of most people when they study scripture or when they study the Bible, they miss often the point of the scripture and the point of the text itself because they read it through their own cultural lens or they read it through their own vantage point or their own purview. And because they read it in that way, they miss out on what it's actually saying. Because again, if you don't know the person who's writing it, sorry, I just saw that freeze there for a second. Let me move this over. If you don't know the person who's writing it and you don't know their language, their lingo, their context, historical context is critical. If you're going to, you know, uh, interpret the scriptures appropriately. The primary mistake for people who read the Old Testament, and this goes for many modern Christians, the primary mistake of modern Christians is to read the Old Testament through some sort of Western lens, some sort of Western way of thinking with Western ideology. And because often people read it this way, they miss out on the entire message of what the text is actually saying. This is why there's some people that will say to you, well, there are many errors in the scripture. Well, there are many errors in the scripture because you're reading it through your lens. Or, and by the way, that, that, that's one of the common things. Oh, there's all kinds of errors in the scripture. The scripture contradicts itself. I always hear that and I go, well, show me where it says that. It's one of those like popular things to say to discredit the Bible, but no one has any proof of it. <laughs> um, they just kind of just say it just to say it, but they they don't know where it comes from. It's just kind of just thing that just thrown out there. But anyway, the primary mistake for those who read it, they read the Old Testament through a modern Western lens and you miss out on the entire point of the text and you miss out on the richness of the text because you don't fully understand the person who wrote it and who they're writing to. If you look at the text from the lens of ancient Israel, and maybe we've got to do a study on that, and maybe just even if it's a uh, just a surface level study on that, if you study the, the, the text through ancient Israel, 
you're going to understand what the word bail really means to them. I can't even break all that down here and why bail was so offensive. But you can't also understand who God is to them because the way we see God isn't how ancient Israel saw God. The way we see Yahweh is not how ancient Israel sees Yahweh. Um, the way we see God is really constructed through um, actually pagan ritualistic ideology. Um, even our sort of didactic approach to God in defining God as just the Trinity. It's not to say that he isn't the Trinity, but to reduce God to the Trinity would be an idea of profoundly confusing even to um, um, to even later, more modern Israel, uh, the Israel people, the Israelites, sorry, or the Hebrew people. When we think of Yahweh, and and isn't it interesting how when, uh, for example, in the uh, in Genesis chapter one, uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I, I always find that interesting. My goodness, I'm already ranting, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, well, he says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and the word God there is not El, because El is actually singular. The word there is Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim, and Elohim is plural. It's a plural word. It's not a singular word. And so, yeah, some theologians actually understand that, that really what it's saying is in the, it, 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 it's not God that is not uh, Jehovah, or it's not in the beginning Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. That's not what the text says. And if it was speaking of God, that is Yahweh, then it would just say in the beginning, El Elyon or Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. They would just, they would just tell you that. They would just say it in the text, but that's not what the text says. The text says in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. We take it and we write God and we capitalize the, the G in God. And so when we capitalize the G in God, then we come up with the conclusion that it's God. Then we, uh, you know, craft out these 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 doctrines about God that aren't necessarily right um, biblical but more cultural and and culturally influenced and so we take a little bit from scripture infuse a little bit of pagan culture to it and then we come up with a Trinitarian doctrine that reduces God to simply the Trinity and then when we reduce God to Trinity, Right. Okay, this is where it gets really confused. That's why the Trinity is so confusing for people. It's not to say that the Trinity is false doctrine. It's not. It's not to say that the Trinity is false doctrine. It's just that the Trinity is a very small view. Um, God is much more than that. And when you understand that, then you'll begin to understand where the Trinity fits within your uh, theological understanding, right? But, but, but at least we can come to the conclusion that there, that, that, that the ancient Israel's didn't, ancient Israel did not understand God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're the ones then who take some of this late uh, theological thinking or 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 theological positions, and then we infuse it and impose it on Genesis, on the first verse in the Bible, and say, in the beginning, God created Elohim, that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. And yet that's not what the scriptures say. Ancient Israel had a much richer, deeper understanding of God. God isn't just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is in the beginning, God, Elohim, meaning it's speaking more about a council of the spiritual beings that all represent God. 
Why did I even bring this up? I'm trying to think. Why did that all come up? Oh, because Baal. That all came from the question of Baal. And so when we understand now, ancient he, the ancient Hebrew people, the ancient Israelites, will understand Yahweh, and then will understand Baal, and will understand now where Baal fits into the story. And so you've got to go and you have to study the Ugaritic people. You have to go and study. Anyway, sorry for the tangent. Um, no, it's not your fault. I think it's good. It's important to know. But we say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word is Elohim. And that simply rep means the beings in the spiritual realm that, that represent Jehovah, that represent El Elyon. Among the Elohim is El Elyon and El Elyon who is God, he is the creator of the universe, but he creates things through his Elohim. And that's why he says, let us make man in our image. Notice he didn't say, let me make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so, so um, exactly. So Mike, you know, I, maybe we'll do a little study on that. You know, the, um, because he, the Hebrew understanding of God is, is you, is, has a heavy Ugaritic influence. But anyway, that's another conversation for another day. Thank you for that tangent. Um, for those of you who are here and you're reading this, uh, this to you may be a profoundly, uh, uh, boring part of our reading, right? You're going to read this and you're going to go, oh, okay, bunch of names, bunch of names, bunch of genealogies, bunch of genealogies, bunch of genealogies, right? You're seeing a name after name after name after name and you're reading through Chronicles and you're just seeing name after name after name after name. And I get it. I get it. It's For some, it's a, a, a really uh, boring part of the scripture. Chronicles is not a popular book, okay? Chronicles is not the most popular book in the Bible. And many believers actually overlook the book. <laughs> um, and, and part of this goes again, not only are there a whole bunch of names, we're going to see a few more chapters of this, by the way. Uh, we're going to see a whole bunch of names, but not only are we going to see a whole bunch of names, we're going to see a whole bunch of names that are really hard to pronounce. They're just hard to pronounce. So I, I apologize in advance. Uh, I apologize in advance because I, I'm not the best reader of Hebrew names. I'm just going to let you know that ahead of time. Um, <laughs> because, again, it's just, it's a lot. Somebody said the ADHD. <laughs> My ADHD loves it. <laughs> um, you know, there's some that appreciate this. If you are a methodical historian, you would appreciate this. Um, and what this also points to is the author of this particular book, it may be the person who really loves this because the author who's writing this book actually really, really loves this. <laughs> okay, you can tell they really like this stuff. It's important. Um, it's important for us to understand that the book of Chronicles, if we were talking about since Chronicles, if we're talking about chronological order, the book of Chronicles almost seems out of place because the book of Chronicles is was written it is believed by many historians, was written maybe two or three centuries um, after 
um, Israel had come back from exile. We've been reading right through First uh, Kings. We read through First Samuel. We read through First King, and we we saw how First Kings ends in in, in chapter twenty five at the end. Sorry, not First Kings. Second Kings, First and Second Kings, the Book of Kings, and we see how it ends. It ends with the children of Israel going into exile in Babylon. And a lot of things are going to transpire from that, from, from, from Babylon till they return back to Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem is restored. The temple is rebuilt because what we saw at the end of, of second Kings is that Jerusalem is destroyed. The city is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. It's left completely in ruin. And so we see a city, a nation that is left in ruin, a people who've been removed, who've been um, brought back into, uh, into pagan territory. They are now exiles. While they've been called, they've been exiled. And we talked all about this and we spent a whole bunch of time on this. And so you can go back and, and you can check out the reading rants from before. Um, but then it almost seems like, wait, where did this come from? Because it seems like a break. It's interesting where Chronicles is placed here in the Bible, because this is about, this book Chronicles is written maybe almost three centuries after what we just read in the verse right before it. So in that last chapter in, in Kings to the first chapter in Chronicles, you're talking about a good 300 years, right? 200 to 300 years. So centuries, it's a lot of time in between. And when we get out of Chronicles and we begin to read the, the, the historical texts and the prophets, what you're going to see is, is they actually come before Chronicles, but somehow Chronicles is being placed here. It's an interesting place to put it because we're going to see uh, some themes here that, you know, in the book of Chronicles that I believe is going to be critical for us in understanding the story of God and the story of God through these people, through the people that he has chosen, the children of God, the children of Israel. But for now, we find ourselves here in a peculiar place because we, we open up the text and the author of the text feels that it is important as a historian to start from the beginning so he goes from Adam. He, the first word in the text is Adam. He goes from Adam. Then he goes to Seth. Then he goes to Enosh. And then from there to Noah. And then from Noah, he goes to, uh, um, to Abraham. And there are a bunch of names in between. Okay. He goes from Adam to Abraham and all the names in between. This is important to this author. Then he goes from Abraham to now Ishmael and all the names in between. Then he goes from Ishmael, the, the family of Ishmael to the family of Isaac and all the names in between. And then he goes, so he goes through all the sons, right? Abraham has, um, he has, uh, first is Terah, right? Then after Terah is Abram. His name is changed to Abraham. In verse 28, the sons of Abram were Isaac and Ishmael. And then he goes through the genealogy. He goes through the genealogy. And I think I saw somebody comment this, that this is important. 
This is important to the author because it is important to the story. Chronicles, think of Chronicles as a summary of the Old Testament. And it's an awkward place, right, to put a summary, to put the summary here. It's an awkward place. But just think about it as a summary of the Old Testament, just flying through. And some of these, if you guys have read with me and read the genealogies with me, you would have seen some of these names. Like, you, okay, I've seen the order of these names. I've seen this before. This, the author of this text literally is pulling all Hebrew history and he's bringing it into light here. That's why it's called the Book of Chronicles. And, and so then he talks about the kings of Edom. We talked about the tensions between the Edomites and the Israelites. And now he goes through the kings of Edom and he talks about the chiefs of Edom. Then in chapter two, he goes from Abraham to Isaac. And then he talks about the family of Israel. Israel begets Reuben, Simeon, uh, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. That's how chapter two starts. So chapter one starts with Adam. Chapter two starts with Israel. Remember, J Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Now we see the sons of Israel. And then Israel, of course, while he has 12, notice what's happening here. He goes from Israel and he picks one among them. That is Judah. Again, remember, there was a promise that was made going back that through the lineage of Judah would come a king. Then from Judah, we see the text takes us from Judah to David. Notice the bloodline matters. It matters because there was something prophesied on this particular family and in a particular way. And so this author feels it important to bring a light to that, to bring awareness to that. I'm sorry if this sounds like a little history book, and 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 I'll, and I'll get to my point because there's one thing I want to share in all this. Then we go through all these names. By the way, if you're looking for like a biblical name for your child that no one's seen before, I encourage you just to read through the first few chapters of Chronicles. There are plenty of ideas for you, okay? But before you do that, make sure you study um, the names themselves because you know some of these folks weren't weren't the best people. Anyway, that's another conversation for another day. Then he goes to the lineage of Judah. And then from Judah, we get to Boaz. You remember Boaz and Ruth? And then from Boaz, we get to Obed. And then from Obed, we get to Jesse. And then from Jesse, we get to David. Bunch of names in between. Because again, there's a thread here. There's a historical thread that's being that's holding this entire tapestry of humanity together. And so that thread is like the backbone. You ever had a shirt where like there was a, a thread in the shirt and as soon as you start pulling that thread, the whole shirt just falls apart. This is the thread, right? This is the thread that holds the whole shirt together. And so we're seeing a thread even through all of this. While we're looking at the shirt, there's a thread through all this. Boaz begets Obed, Obed begets Jesse. Jesse then begets David. And then from David, we see now, again, the families of Hezron, the families of Jeremiel, and this all sounds boring, but if you've been paying attention to everything that we've been reading up to this point, some of these names come up. 
the battles that have transpired up to this point, some of these names have come up. You've seen them before. I'm getting to my point today. Then we get to the family of Caleb. Remember Caleb? Caleb, Joshua's sidekick. And then from Caleb, we see Jeremiel. And then we see all these names and all these names all to describe the family of Caleb in chapter two. Then we get to chapter three, and now he's breaking down the family of David. So he breaks down the family of David, and 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 David has, of course, this, this, this weird, interesting, blended family because David had married a multiplicity of women. And then, of course, he's got Amnon and Daniel and Absalom, another name that comes up, Makkah, another name that comes up, Talmai. We've seen these names before. And then, of course, we see then when he gets to Jerusalem and, and, and he reigns in Jerusalem now, then you have these other names that we've seen before, Shemaiah, Shobab, and Solomon. We've seen these names before. Elishama, Eliphet. And so we see all these names. Then from Solomon, from David, we get to Solomon. And then from Solomon, we see these names before. Rehoboam. Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joram, Ahaziah, Joash, Amaziah, Azariah, Jothan, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, and Josiah. Hold on a second. We've seen these names before. That was just in the previous book. He literally took the book of Kings and he put it into one little short paragraph of names. Again, the lineage. He's showing something. He's showing something. Then he gets to Jeconiah. Then we see from there the families of Judah. And then we see the lineage of the, uh, the, the, the kings of Israel and the lineage. We're beginning to see a lineage here. We're seeing a lineage of the kings of Israel. We're seeing a lineage of the kings of Judah. Then we get to Simeon and, and, and we're gonna continue on from there. Why does any of this matter? I'm gonna leave you with a thought and I wanna leave you with just the word because we're doing a little bit of teaching. I'm doing a little teaching here, but I want to do a little reflecting as well. Is in all of this boring text, because it's kind of, for some of you, it's boring. For those of you, you love it. I think it's all important. I know it's all important. If it wasn't important, it wouldn't even be here. It's all important because there's a story being written through a people because God writes his stories through people. God writes his stories through families. God writes his stories through bloodlines. God isn't doing anything without the family in mind. This is why family matters. The bloodline does matter. Yes, posterity does matter. It matters to God. And the story of humanity is a story of family. There's anything that you should get from all of this. If we were reading through the book of Joshua, Judges, 
Samuel and Kings, there have been battles, murders, um, wars, all of it has been happening. And maybe you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again. Do you understand that all these people are all related? And the thread that holds it all together is this covenantal thread. But these people are all related. They're second and third cousins, fourth cousins, fifth cousins. And I think it's easy for us to look at the tensions and the politics of it all. It's easy for us to look at ethnicities and to see, well, you've got the Canaanites and you have an ethnic, ethnically different people, which were the Israelites. No, they were literally the same people. Genetically from the same fathers. The kings of Israel had the same father as the kings of Judah. Huh? The Canaanites. Ishmaelites had the same fathers as the Israelites. Yet we make them two separate people. And yet we're seeing, even as we read through this, there's an Egyptian in this as well. There's a Canaanite in this as well. They're, hold on a second. We're the ones who actually like dividing people by nations and borders. We're the ones that like doing that. But what this writer is showing is that these people are all related. <laughs> these people who are killing each other, murdering each other for territory, for land, for power, for influence. And yet they all are related. I'm going to say something that's going to maybe rattle your mind throughout the entire day to day is every issue in politics, economics, humanity, every issue in humanity. Are you ready for this? Is actually a family issue. Our world is upside down because we have family problems. <laughs> The root of all the instability we see in the world is a family issue. It's actually a family problem. It started in the home. That's right. That's right. The Taliban, that's a family issue. Haiti's brokenness and pain is a family issue. We're actually a big blended family. We've been reading all this tension in the text. We talk about the evil Philistines and you've got the Hivites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Ammonites and the Gergesites and the Moabites. You got all these people who are out there, all these, look at those evil people. Look at those evil people coming for the children of Israel, coming to attack the promise. These are the people of the covenant. These are the people of the promise, but guess what? Those were their cousins. They were related. They were related. And yet it was the erosion in the family 
that led to the instability that we have in the world. You know, every issue of political instability in the world can almost all be pointed to something that happened in the home. Almost every issue. I'm looking at this text and I'm reading it and we're going to be reading it. All these connections, all these names. These people were enemies to each other. These people fought each other. These people were killing each other. These people were murdering and, and raping each other. These people, these people were, I mean, these were enemies. I mean, hard fought enemies. And the sin in man's heart led them to this, that this mess that we see here, that we get in this text. And yet this guy this author of Chronicles is showing to us, oh, by the way, you know that the, all these people are related? There's like three degrees of separation. I saw a, um, I forgot, it was a video on YouTube. It was a really interesting video. Uh, it was a video on YouTube of people who didn't, you know, they, they weren't sure about their ethnicity. And they were white people. There were black people. There were, uh, there were some um, um, Asians and different people who came in. And it was an ancestry. I don't know if it was ancestry.com, but it was like, it was a short video where they went and they, you know, they, they did their whole ancestry DNA check, all that good stuff. And, and what was interesting about it is when they got the report back, many of them were shocked and surprised. They were shocked and surprised by how much DNA they have from so many different places in the world. And I believe in that video, and I'd have to pull it up, maybe post the link, maybe I'll post it on Patreon if I can find it again. This is coming to my mind. But I remember this one guy who looks ethnically just profoundly different than this one other lady. They found out in that testing that they were cousins. Anybody remember that? Like they were cousins. They were actually related like, like one degree of separation to each other. And in that world, this would be the world where those two people would never frequent with each other. They would never actually love each other. And we live in a world today where those two people may actually be at odds with each other simply because of the color of their skin, because of their racial, um, or because of their, their ethnic background, or because of their racial uh, identification. The reality is, is we all have a little bit of each other in us. We all have a little bit of each other in us. And what's unfortunate is the same way that these people in this text, which we've read all the way up to this point, who had different ethnicity, sorry, who were of different nations, different ethnicities, fighting and killing each other, were all related to each other. Maybe if we saw those who are immigrants hurting and in pain, we would treat them a little bit differently if we saw them as family. Maybe if we saw 
that homeless man on the street. And we saw him as our brother. We would see them differently. Maybe if black folk would see their white counterparts as you're actually my brother. We're actually related. We would treat them differently. Maybe if our white brothers and sisters would see their black brothers and sisters as family. Like you're actually, we're actually blood. Maybe we treat each other differently. Maybe if we saw our Haitian brothers and sisters as that, maybe we wouldn't get on horses and and whip them. Maybe we'd weep to see them in pain, starving, running from oppression, spending months going to South America, then going on a dangerous trek all the way up through Central America to find themselves not at a river and to risk their lives to cross that river because at the end of the day, they're in a life or death situation. Maybe we would we would treat them differently. Maybe if we, we saw our Mexican brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters, maybe our first inclination wouldn't be to put them in cages. Maybe, maybe if we, if we saw our brothers and sisters in the Middle East as brothers and sisters, maybe we would also weep for Palestine, even though we still defend the nation of Israel. And maybe, maybe then, maybe then, maybe then we would look like who God called us to be. We're actually a big family. We're a family. Of course, it's easy for me to have a soft heart for the Haitian people because I am of Haitian descent. I'm of Haitian descent and um, I see those people across the border and yes, I see myself. I'm, I'm genetically one degree away from them. Genetically one degree. So yes, I see those kids weeping and crying as they're going across and you can see the terror in their eyes and the fear because they could die. And I can't help but see that little girl on that man's shoulder and not, not see my, my, my daughter. And I'm not saying that I have the answers, but man, just seeing them as as kinfolk would change the way that I see the problem and the issue. Um, I'm, I'm closing. I've, I've been going over time for the past few weeks, but I don't know why. I just, I feel the Holy Spirit is leading me here because um, church, this is what it means to be a strange kingdom. We don't follow the politics. And I'm going to say something that may get some people uncomfortable. This started with the Republicans and it's being propagated with the Democrats. I know that's going to make people uncomfortable because the reality is, is Republican 
political philosophy doesn't fix the problem. And Democrat ideology and philosophy doesn't fix the problem as well. The problem is actually here. It's actually here. Joe Biden is not fixing the problem. The problem is actually at home. It's here. Okay, uh, Donald Trump isn't gonna fix the problem. The problem is here. It's here. And people are fighting and arguing over this. They're, they're debating on this. How, who do you think you are? Since when did we get so prideful? Like, who do you, I'm sorry, give me a few minutes, family. Who, who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? That we see a person who's starving, who's hungry, who's dying, and yet we're looking at each other, fighting over the policy concerning this person. Like, who are we? Like, who are we to sit around and to talk about the politics of what's going on in Afghanistan and to make it a political thing and to politicize it and to argue it because we're so concerned with our permission and our popularity? Who are we? When did we become like this? When did we become, family, this is pointing out to the evil in the world. When did we become like this? Where now it's not about the women who are being oppressed in Afghanistan or, or it's not about, and I'm not saying these issues are simple. They're very, very complex. I, I can't emphasize that enough. These are complex problems and complex issues, but we're not even tackling the problem. We're tackling each other about the problem because we don't actually see a brother. We don't actually see the kingdom. What we see is our ideology and our policy. So we go around and we look at people. We see our sisters and we don't see them as sisters. We see our brothers, but we don't see them as brothers. And so we fight over land, over money, over territory not realizing that this is what the kingdom of me, myself, and I looks like, not the kingdom of God. In the United States, what we're worried about is we're worried about our own survival and well-being. We're worried about our own power. We're worried about our own influence. No, we're not looking to, to, to give and to sacrifice and to relinquish our power. We're looking to keep our power and to hold on to our power. And I hate saying this, family, but we've seen what that's happened over time. We've seen every empire crumble and fall because those kingdoms do not stand. They don't stand. They don't survive. God, help us. Father, don't let us become like these children. 
all of whom have come from the same place, from the same family, from the same people. And yet we're reading through the history of the story of your people, how these people came against each other, killed each other by the thousands, hated each other. Father, don't let us become these people, but Father, let us be a strange people. One who does not live off of self-preservation and self-survival, but one who lives a life of self-sacrifice, desiring to see all come to reconciliation to you. Father, we read this today. Lord, understanding now what it meant when it says all creation is groaning. Father, we are groaning. And yet, Lord, we come with hope because we know, Father, that, Lord, you've written this story. It's all here in this book. And we know that you've brought things to fruition. We know that you've made all things new. And now all of creation is simply waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So, Father, pour out your spirit upon us. Transform our heart, our mind, and our soul. Make us become like you, that we may see your children as such, that we may love our neighbors as we love ourselves, that we may love not just the people who love us, that we would love the people who hate us. Father, convict us today. Lord, not to engage in political debates, but Father, to truly weep and pray for those who are hurting and are in pain. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I apologize, family, if I get emotional about this because um, it's one of my burdens. It's one of my burdens. Um, and yet I'm not hopeless in it. You know, some people become hopeless. I'm not. I'm not hopeless at all in it because I've read enough Bible to know how the story ends. I've read enough scripture to know how it ends. It doesn't mean I don't weep in the moment and it doesn't mean I don't speak up in the moment. Jesus knew how it would end, but it didn't mean that he didn't flip tables. He flipped tables when he saw that the church was economically oppressing the people. He flipped tables, yeah. And Jesus did weep. He wept before he rose Lazarus from the grave. And Jesus did weep when his cousin Jonathan had his head cut off. He wept. So even though we know how it ends and we know that there's something better on the other side. There's, there, there are things we can lament in this moment. So yeah, I'm lamenting. And yes, it bothers me. And I don't want, you know, because I am of Haitian descent, I want to say, I, I know I'm of, I'm of Haitian descent. Um, and so obviously the, the Haiti crisis hits home, but it's been, it's been a problem for a long time. The, the oppression, 
the, um, the, the, the abuse, the manipulation, the colonization of the nation of Haiti has been going on since the beginning of its history. So this is something that, 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 that we've dealt with for a long time. So this is not anything new. But it's not just about Haiti. I know Haiti hits close to home, but Afghanistan should hit close to home. Even for me as a Haitian man, doesn't take away that I, I weep for my people in this season. But I have to weep for Afghanistan. I have to weep for Palestine. Does anybody understand where I'm at? I, I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not downing you guys right now. And I know some of you got to go, and I'm holding some of you hostage. But, but we need to weep these things. We need to lament these things. We need to stop putting trust in governments and institutions, because guess what? It is the people that will change the nation, not the governments. There's only one government, family. That will bring restoration to all things, and it's the kingdom of God. Isaiah prophesies it. The government will be upon his shoulders. It is the government over all governments, and the government through all governments. It's the kingdom of God. And yet, what did Jesus say? He said, we're looking around for the kingdom, and yet the kingdom of God is within us. It's in us. It's in us. We put too much trust in Biden. We put too much trust in, in Trump. We put too much trust in presidents. And, and we put too much trust, and we're not realizing that we've turned them into gods. They are our bails. And neither one of them can bail us out. We got to come here first. We got to deal with what's going on at home. We have to deal with our heart. So yeah, I'm weeping for Haiti and I'm praying for Haiti. But I'm weeping for this world. I'm weeping for Africa. I'm weeping for Northern Nigeria. There are Christians dying for the faith in Northern Nigeria right now. At Christians in southern Syria getting their heads cut off for the faith. <laughs> we see pain and suffering everywhere. Everywhere. And yet, we are all cousins. <laughs> We're all family. Cuba, oh, another one. So we need to pray. We need to pray for our nation. For those of you who are in the U.S., you need to pray. We, are, we have lost our way. Oh my goodness, Venezuela. Oh my goodness, Venezuela. There's so much pain, family. Don't we can't even get started with Venezuela. Venezuela, the Venezuelan people are starving to death. They're starving to death. 
in a world that should not have a hunger problem. Do you understand that? There should not be a hunger problem. And yet South America is dying of hunger. Guatemala, the children are dying of hunger in Guatemala. <laughs> we shouldn't have a hunger. Okay, last thing and then I'm done. Um, I got really upset yesterday. And I won't call anybody out because that's not who I am. I'd rather address them in a private. But there's this whole propagation of, I call it theological aberration, of people who are throwing this stupid statement around. And it's a stupid statement. Babe, I'm sorry. I know you got to take the boys to school and to class. And I told you I'd be done by nine and I've held you. And I don't know if Ellison and Izzy are hearing me go on a rant right now, but uh, I just apologize in advance. If you want to, you could go back to doing the work that you need to do with them. Uh, but I just make sure my boys are here, at least for the reading and, and some of the ranting. Um, but there is this, there's this thing going on of people who are preaching Preachers will preach things like God doesn't care about social justice or Jesus is not a social justice warrior or, and I've heard this from many people, or social justice is not the gospel or we instead of talking about all this justice stuff, why don't you just preach the gospel? And it's this kind of disingenuousness. That's the reason why the world is not attracted at all to your message. Because the gospel, by implication, leads to justice. The gospel of Jesus Christ leads to justice. The book of Isaiah is all about justice. The book of Isaiah, sorry, I'm ranting. I'm, I know I'm ranting, but let me just throw this out there because some of, some of us, some of us Christians just need to get, we just, we just need to tighten up. We just need to tighten up. Because this whole, just preach the gospel thing, I call it a cop-out. It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out to do nothing, to live in your comfort, to live in your little perfect reality, to be able to take your kids to their little schools in, in their little suburb and to live your little comfortable life. It's just our way of, 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 of maintaining and establishing our own self-preservation and comfort when the scriptures do not say anything. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say otherwise. The word righteousness in the Bible is the same word as the word justice. The scriptures tell us over and over and over again to seek justice, to defend the oppressed, to plead for the widow, to speak for the voiceless. That's what the scriptures say. Oh, no, 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 no. just preach the gospel though. Yeah, just preach the gospel. Because if you just preach the gospel, then you know that's all you need to do because Jesus don't care about justice. What? what? All Jesus cared about was justice. <laughs> That's all he cared about because his justice is his righteousness. He cares about his justice. 
Maybe the problem is, is that we've misinterpreted justice and we all have our own definitions of justice because our own definitions of justice are for our own comfort and our own self-preservation and not just the justice of God, but God only cares about his justice. The scriptures tell us that he is a righteous judge. How does the scripture tell us that God is a righteous judge, but God doesn't care about justice? Explain that to me, please. How is it possible for God to be a God who justly divides if he doesn't care about justice? Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord came upon me to do what? To proclaim liberty to the captives. No, 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 just preach the gospel. That's all you need to do is just preach the gospel. That, I call that the holy Christian cop-out. We're copping out. No, we preach the gospel, but we do justice. That's Bible. We do justice, and our nation has lost its way. Another quick thing. And then I'm done. I'm getting off. By the way, support me on, on Patreon. <laughs> Please. Um, we have Bible study revelation coming up. So anyway, but la last note, last note, last note on it. I think it's funny that there are people who will say, you know what? Uh, if you just preach the gospel and all this justice talk, all this justice talk, you know, all this justice stuff, you know, this and this and that. Why are we talking about justice? Why are we talking about justice? No, 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 no. Your problem isn't the gospel of justice. Your problem is the type of justice. Your problem is who is your neighbor. You have a problem with who your neighbor is. You want to choose who your neighbor is. That's the proclivity you have. You have the proclivity of the Pharisee. When the Pharisee asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? What the Pharisee was really asking is, do I really need to care for that person? Because guess this, you're quick to be a pro-life person. Isn't that a justice issue? Huh. You're quick to defend the Constitution. Isn't that a justice issue? Oh, 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 we're quick to defend our borders. Isn't that a justice issue? We're quick to bring defense to, to, to other things that are expedient to us and our own survival. Immigration? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. Whoa, whoa. Hey, back up there. Back up with this immigration stuff. You know? Listen, man. Hey, get this social justice stuff out of the church. Oh, but you want to defend immigration because that's not a justice issue. Y'all see the hypocrisy? Y'all see the hypocrisy in that? And it's funny because, again... Our justice issue is a hard issue because you know what we do in America? We look down on the immigrant. Ooh, these immigrants, they're coming to steal our jobs, take our money, take our food. They're coming to rape our kids. They're coming to, that's why we hide your kids, hide your wives. The, these immigrants, not realizing that Jesus was an immigrant. 
Jesus spent his childhood as an immigrant. Jesus had to flee oppression to go to Egypt. He went to Africa as an immigrant. Spent his early years as an immigrant. He said, this world is not my world. Jesus has been an immigrant, but we don't see Jesus the immigrant. And we, we don't see the pain in the immigrant and not see Jesus there. Why? Because we're protecting our policy and, and uh, social justice. And we wonder why people are getting turned off. We wonder why people are getting turned off by the church and by the gospel. Because we're hypocrites. We're pro-life. We're pro-life. We're pro-life. Save the babies. That's good. That's, I love that. I love that. But you're not really pro-life. No, you're just anti-abortion. But you're not really pro-life. Because you only care about some lives. You don't care about all lives. Yeah, you stand, you stand on the hill of abortion, but forget the struggling mother, the widow. Forget that. No, no, no. No, let them take care of it. Let them take care of themselves. They'll figure it out afterwards. I know everybody's getting all uncomfortable. I know we're all getting riled up in here, right? Because, oh, look at it, Pastor. Oh, my goodness, I think Pastor's pro-abortion. That's not what I said. You've missed the whole point. Do you really care about the sanctity of life? What actually governs your pro-life stance? Is it politics? Is it politics? Or is it the kingdom of God? Because if you cared about all life, then what are we doing with the elderly? If we care about all life, why is it that we have children that are starving in America? If we care... Sorry, I'm ranting. I'm ranting. But this goes back to the heart of what we were reading, family. I know, I know, this is convicting and it's making people uncomfortable, making people angry. Oh my goodness, I got a meeting at 9.30, so I got to go. But do we really speak up or do we just hide in our little pews? Because God is a Republican or God is a Democrat or God is this and God is that. No, God doesn't fit in your theology and your ideology. Work on your heart. Guys, I got to go. I got a meeting. I got a global leaders meeting <laughs> to jump on. And now I'm all riled up. I'm going to walk into this meeting riled up. But I got to go on this Zoom meeting. I love you guys. Um, this is all said in love, but I, in sincerity. But I love you all. See you guys tomorrow. God bless you.